Hello, one and all, and welcome to this week's Companies and Markets uh, podcast. I'm Mark Robinson. I'm standing in for Ian Smith, uh, John Human, Alex Newman. In fact, I'm pretty much the announcer of last resort. But uh, it's been a busy week for the magazine, and I'm joined in the studio with my colleagues Megan Boxall, Tom Dines, and a little little bit later we'll be talking to uh, Simon Thompson from his uh, Kent Redoubt. Firstly, I think we'll uh, bring Tom in on a couple of uh, news stories uh, linked to companies in the uh, support services sector, always a hive of activity. Uh, But there's been a a few uh, problems, actually, Tom. Uh, The first one is uh, Mighty, uh, who released a somewhat worrying announcement through the week. Yes. So they've announced that they are being investigated by the FCA over the um, the timeliness of their profit warning in September last year, and also the manner of preparation and content of the company's financial information, position and results for the financial year uh, ended March 2016. There's actually the second uh, investigation going on into that uh, those 2016 results. The FRC is looking into Deloitte for their 2015 and 2016 numbers. So... Um, and two subsequent, two concurrent investigations, rather. Okay. Probably not um, the best signal. I mean, part of the problem as well was the, uh, uh, we, we've highlighted in the past as well, the extent of uh, uh, their write-downs as well. That's been an issue with the company. We have, and they they have, but since the timing of this announcement, they've kind of grabbed the ball by the horns. They did an accounting review, wrote down uh, $88 million of uh impairments, uh, exceptional stuff like that. And they've really been kind of getting their acting gear. So it's, it's not really um, an issue of uh, corporate governance, anything along those lines? No. It don't, well, as far as I can tell, no. That said, they are still being roughly 7% of the sh- uh, stock is being shorted. Okay. Um, at least that's as much as we could glean from FCA uh, disclosures. I tried to speak to some of the hedge funds. But they wouldn't, they wouldn't make a comment either, the FCA at the point? Uh, no, no. And uh, weirdly enough, neither would hedge funds. No, I suppose it's an ongoing uh, affair as well. So they don't uh, like it's to short positions with exactly. journalists. Uh, the other company within the support services sector was uh, WIG. It's a company I've uh, covered in the past. And uh, what seems to have been the problem there? Everything. Everything. <laughs> so um, that's a... Um, Another profit warning, they've they've said operating profit for the six months to the end of September is going to be significantly lower than 2016. I see. And we did have the, the company on a buy, did we not? We uh, did on the basis that they have warned uh, earlier this year. Yes. That warning was uh, Brexit-related delays. None of the contracts that were being delayed had been cancelled. It was just a bit of nerves around Brexit, which we've seen elsewhere and hasn't has often not turned out to be anything. This is... Uh, quite a few things so um, I'm going to have to read this because there's four separate issues so uh, two major projects uh, in the international development business have taken longer than expected to get off the ground a review of the consultancy businesses revealed some engineering contracts are likely to be less profitable than expected framework contracts for the division have been slow to deliver Uh, planning and transport planning and real estate have failed to meet expectations so there's quite a few but, different things. But is, is this contractual problems are, are, are germane to the sector, really? I mean, this is, a, this is something that comes out all the time. And yeah. I guess you've, you've got a, a limited number of outsourcing uh, companies, uh, you know, chasing down uh, a limited pool of business as well. Mm. And I think this is where you, you end up getting uh, contractual issues, really. Um, yeah. So have we changed our, our view on the company? I mean... Uh, 
Yeah, so... So, so we, we've taken them to a cell now, is that right? WIG is a cell. Uh, Mighty was staying on hold just because we don't know what this this means. Mighty said they're not going to say anything else until the investigation's concluded. Um, and, the, so, and so we're neutral on them at the moment as well. I yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the one uh, outsourcer that's had some good news this week is Serco. So they're up 7.6% on Thursday morning. That's after UBS put out a note on the outsourcing sector in which they upgraded Serco, saying they were quite a uh, late stage in their turnaround. That was the reason in the end, was it? Because there, there, no, uh, there was no separate RNS announcement, was there? No, it was purely on the back of this note. Um, so the same, uh, the same uh, note said that they were going to keep sort of mighty and... Uh, well, it's a long, it's a long road back for Serco, though. Not if you're, uh, not if you're UBS. Well, yeah, it's a, well, it's good news on that uh, front, anyway. Okay, Tom. Well, thanks very much for that. I dare say that uh, the, there'll be other news coming out of that particular sector uh, in the weeks and months ahead. Um, this week's issue, actually, um, I should have alluded to it in the introduction. Really, uh, is basically uh, been put together by uh, my other guest here, Megan Boxall. And uh, Megan's written this week's uh, cover feature looking at the uh, future direction and shape of TV. Uh, Quite appropriate, really, given that we've just seen the uh, unfortunate uh, passing of Bruce Forsyth, who is uh, synonymous with the uh, dawn of TV in this country. He's not that old. He wasn't that old. <laughs> no, perhaps not. He's quite it was old. Old. Well, <laughs> well, commercial TV in this country, anyway. But um, enough about Brucey. So, Megan, you've um, you've used a distinctly literary prism to uh, cast your eye on the world of television. Um, what are the major trends that you've identified? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's been a really interesting. Um, feature to write because the changes in tv are just huge um, mm. and also something that everyone kind of knows about because um well pretty much everyone watches television but how it impacts the companies all the huge amount of companies in the market has been really really interesting so i mean anyone who owns tv will know about the changes that have happened we now have so much more content at the press of a button i I remember discussing the feature with you ahead of time as well and i think that the problem was there is such a vast change going on out there and so many different issues it was difficult to sort of uh, yeah, synthesize this into uh, one article yeah i know definitely but so looking at the sort of changes in behavior was like quite a good place to start because um there have been so many changes in how we watch tv and they've been kind of driven by the fact there's so much more content out there it's all like when you go on netflix full series are put up in one go yeah. and you don't even have to press a button for the next episode to start it's lethal you can end up watching a whole series of one episode of um of one program in one sitting well, i did on, on the weekend it's it so happens. easy to do and it's ridiculous ozark mm. i recommend it highly <laughs> it's just it, it's so easy to do so t- binge tv is a thing that has become massive in the uk and the us everywhere that netflix has got a grasp on the market um but we also are watching more and more tv on the move i mean the amount of people you see on the tube catching up on the latest episode of their favorite program on their ipad or even their phone our tablets and our phones have got better quality the connection mobile reception's got better everything has become it's become easier to watch tv i guess it feeds into that general narrative we've spoken about before as well where people today they actually don't buy their music as such they don't buy mm-hmm. albums or fewer people do um they access it through sites such as spotify even when you go and buy a car nowadays and um pcp arrangements you don't actually end up owning the car per se you just move it on to a, a newer model and it this seems to be uh, an established consumer trend now yeah and but 
it, it, it seems to sort of be a little bit the same in, in television, but also we were talking the other day about how actually you can end up spending just as much as you used to on TV. So everyone still in the UK has to pay their uh, licence fee, and that's still the law. Then a lot of people pay for Sky. Um, yeah. But then, and Sky is very expensive. Fewer people um, are paying for BT, also pay, pay TV channel, very expensive. But then there is a, a slight downturn in the people pay, buying those channels, those very expensive channels, and instead turning to streaming services such as Netflix and Amazon Prime and now TV. But if you have all three of those... That's more in line with the Spotify, Spotify model, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. Okay. That's, so that's what you, that is the sort of... Yeah, you stream directly from the internet. The fact that broadband's better now, that's enabled us to, to watch TV in that way. But yeah, you end up paying just as much as you would for a month's Sky subscription because you've got all three channels and then £6, £7 coming out of your account every month. You don't even notice it, but... Well, this is true. But, but it, 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 from what you're saying there, it seems like cost in itself isn't necessarily the main consideration, but it's that flexibility and, mm. and the differing way that we consume media. Yeah, definitely. And and also the other, the, the, the massive thing is the value of content. And that's, um, that's one of the things that um, I've been looking at quite a lot because content is so much more valuable now than it used to be because that is why we pay for netflix that's why we keep our sky subscription sky is the only place in the uk that shows game of game of thrones yeah that is a massive draw for a company like sky if it loses game of thrones how many people are going to say well i don't care about sky anymore if it loses its rights to the premier league which is the debate going on at the moment how can it actually afford the cost of the premier league if it loses those rights are people going to want to pay for Sky? What's, what's left? But I mean, you, you also alluded to the fact that this is changing um, the media production model as well. Mm. Yeah, so that's really interesting. And ITV is a big company in, in that sector. It's actually the biggest um, production company in the UK. It's got loads of different companies that make programmes for B- the BBC, for um, for Sky, for all sorts. And they ship them overseas as well. Okay, and another area that's uh, obviously implications for is marketing. Yeah, so historically, um, the television was the the biggest destination for um, advertising spend in the UK. And um, that has changed dramatically with the rise of Facebook and Google. Um, their way of advertising products is so much more efficient than, um, that, than when you, companies choose to advertise on the well, TV. It's, it's, it's the targeting aspect, yeah, exactly. isn't it? exactly. So when you, I don't know, when you search on ASOS for a pair of shoes, the Facebook has the capacity to tell that you've been searching on ASOS for a pair of shoes and advertises those pair of shoes when you go on Facebook. It's so much better. It's so much more... It's it's a much better way of advertising. The companies are bound to go for that form of advertising rather than for the television. So that's been a real problem for... um, TV companies. ITV has really struggled with falling advertising revenue. Sky previously had been struggling with falling advertising revenue, so had BT. Um, Sky has um, started this new um, advertising model where it can also target um, target adverts to specific populations. So a family in Edinburgh and a family in London can be watching the same programme, but the family in Edinburgh will be watching a different advert to the family in London. Right. Uh, which is, it's not quite as targeted as what facebook and google can do but it's better than the historic tv model yeah um so i mean it definitely there are definitely ways that the tv companies can get around the the drop off in demand for tv advertising and if the content is there and if the viewers are there as we've seen with bake off this week people are going to pay big bucks for their for advertising slots a bake off well channel four so there's two sponsorship deals worth five million pounds um for the entire series and they're selling 
advertising slots for between 150 and 200,000 pounds mm. just because that is really really premium content that's what they know they're going to get high viewers so people are willing to pay for the advertising slots well advertising itself it's an industry in flux and it's very difficult to mm. um, establish what are the best ways you can generate re- revenue streams through in, in the digital age I mean we, we find it in our own mm. world here you know as part of the FT group it's um, it's central to considerations and, and so what are some of the other uh, changes as well that you've noticed uh, in terms uh, of, of the growth of the industry has it become more fragmented almost actually the opposite i mean there are so many companies which are in partnership with each other which are doing deals with each other which are thinking about buying each other up there's been a definite sort of convergence between the telecoms um, companies and the broadcasters and the companies that make content all companies that are making the content they need a source to get rid of to be displaying that content um which is one of the reasons that um at&t is trying to buy time warner it's a it would be it's going to be the biggest if it is if it is passed by regulators it's going to be the biggest corporate acquisition in history yeah that's dragged on for some time and though it's isn't dragged it on for ages yeah. i thought it completed but it hasn't it's still going on um and it's so fox and sky as well fox is trying to expand its um reach in, into europe it's going to try and take full control of sky um itv has been buying so many production companies it's got the outlet for displaying these programs it just needs the content with these programs and then in the u.s disney is doing something very similar disney is the king of content i mean no one's going to stop watching disney films as long as they continue to be as great as Frozen was. But what they've struggled with is the fact that they don't have a portal to display all all their films, all their programmes. So they are launching their own rival streaming service to Netflix. Um, And with the content there, that could be a big problem for Netflix. Netflix has to invest in its own content to challenge that. It's all going on. It's strange, actually, because I, I recall during the late uh, 1980s and into the 90s as well, you had a period of uh, intense consolidation within the media industry as well. This mm. is why you've ended up with uh, Time Warner, for instance. Um, what are some of the implications for, for public broadcasting in, in the United Kingdom? Yes, that is such an interesting question and one that there just does not really seem an answer to. But the BBC is obviously the the biggest public service broadcaster um the others are itv channel four and channel five um whether they can even be called public service broadcasters in the sense that they used to be is definitely a matter for dispute channel five is owned by a massive american company yeah um itv has its own production studios now it's making a lot of money for it from production companies and the bbc even has its own production arm in which it sells its own programs and it's got its commercial worldwide service so whether or not it's still a public service broadcaster in the historic sense of the world, word is is definitely a question. And well, well, there's a general there's a general debate going on about uh, uh, charter reform for the BBC anyway, yeah. looking at uh, broadcasting standards. But it's also going to have to actually take account of the the changing uh, economics of the industry. Mm, I mean, the BBC can't avoid it. No, and that's what's quite quite difficult, and that's why sort of all the arguments around um, BBC staff pay. Uh, I mean, I understand that it's a it's a tax-funded organization they have a responsibility to spend their money wisely but also when the average market rate is going up so much for staff for programs they have to match it otherwise they're going to lose all their content they're going to lose all their 
Gary Lineker's and Chris Evans and maybe that might not be the biggest loss to, but the, I think people would start complaining if their news started to be broadcast by someone who wasn't a very good journalist it they kind of have to be matching the changes to the market which kind of calls into question is the license fee going to be a thing in the future I wonder how much uh, Brian Moore used to get paid Probably not as much no, as, uh, as <laughs> Lineker, even yeah. in real terms. Yeah. Um, okay, listen, it's it's an absolutely uh, fascinating piece. Actually, it's uh, been some time, some some time in the making as well. But uh, tremendously well done on that. Um, what about? I, I guess I guess for our readership, I mean, there's any number of investment uh, implications as well. But I guess at the moment, it may be short of the consolidation that uh, alluded to earlier on, it's hard to come up with some um, concrete themes there. Yeah, it, it really is, especially as as like we were talking about, all the companies, they're just undergoing such rapid change. I really like ITV. Um, and they've got a really sensible strategy of buying up production companies. And that That's where the value is in the future of TV. It's in that content. And the fact that they're put it, putting a lot of money into that content is a good sign. But while all the drop-off in advertising revenue is going on, it it makes ITV look like it's struggling, even though in the future it might actually be very well placed. So it actually looks quite like quite good value. And today I was doing the um looking at the results of STV, which is the broadcaster of ITV or the third channel in in Scotland and um and them as well they they're really trying to diversify into um into content and into into new channels rather than really relying on advertising so i think the companies that can place themselves for those changes and ITV and STV both look like they're doing that um sky i mean you have to kind of assume that it's not going to be a UK listed company within a year should the fox deal go through um but yeah i think i think it's content that needs to be needs to be uh, the thing to look for which is why entertainment one isn't maybe another content is key exactly what we're saying mm. okay listen it's it's a great piece again actually uh, megan looks wistfully back to the days when the family used to be able to sit around the tv set watching it in the traditional fashion it just shows you she has a slightly different uh, aspect on the world uh, <laughs> than i uh, but it's a wonderful piece anyway i recommend it Luckily, we're joined on the line now by uh, Simon uh, Thompson, who's going to look at the companies that he's been covering recently. How's it going, Simon? Um, It's going well. Looking forward to the weekends and hopefully the... um the good weather will return that we had in the bank holiday. I know. Uh, Well, it's a good time to speak to us anyway if it's uh, it's pelting down outside. It's it's definitely pelting down outside. (laughs) Okay, listen... um, You've singled out a couple of the, the companies on your watch list today. The, the first is uh, Currency Manager uh, Record, which for uh, several years has looked like an excellent investment. Uh, um, and it hasn't always proved so, but uh, is having a, a pretty good 2017. What, why is that? It's having a fantastic time. I mean, if, if you look at the geopolitical situation, problems in the Middle East and Asia, the fallout from Brexit, the EU referendum last year, um, Donald Trump's presidency last November, you've had the French elections in May, German elections coming up. You've got a whole host of things that have led to volatility in the currency markets. Yeah. Um, on, on top of that, you've got the European Central Bank and the US Federal Reserve Central Bank. Um, a couple of elections in uh, Europe this year as well? I, I, absolutely. You know, um, you know, the German election is, is the next major one. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you've also got the monetary tightening um, as well, which is leading to 
some fairly major moves in the currency markets. I mean, for example, the euro has um, appreciated 14% against the US dollar since April. It's appreciated 10% or so against sterling in the same time. And in this backdrop, um, institutional investors and records got 59 large clients um, are looking at both dynamic hedging mandates to profit from these currency moves as well as passive ones. And it's the passive side that really interests me on records. In the last financial year to the end of March, the revenues from that side grew 29% and now actually account for more than half of the management fees. Okay. Okay. Um, they, um, they, they cover all the operating expenditure of the business, which is quite important um, because this company's cash rich. Um, profits are going up. They were up 26% or so last financial year, expected to go up another 12% this year. But with cash on the balance sheet and um, the management fees actually covered by um, covering the um, the overheads, um, then the board can be really generous with the dividends. Well, this is the next point I wanted to uh, ask you as well. Uh, have they got an explicit uh, policy in that regard? Well, well they have. I mean, they, they've basically come out and said that they will, on top of the normal dividends, they, they had a normal dividend of two pence out of earnings per share of two pence. 2.9 pence last year, but above that, they'll actually pay out special dividends. And um, the year just ended, so they paid out last month. In effect, all the earnings they made, all the 2.9 pence. Okay. Uh, they also had a 10 million pound tender offer, which shrunk the share capital by 5.5%. Um, but the company still retains surplus cash, roughly 13 million pounds or 6.5 pence a share that compares with the share price of 46 pence. And that's after setting aside about £9 million of its cash for regulatory capital purposes. Um, what this means is tender offer that previously analysts were looking for earnings to grow roughly 10% this year from 2.9 pence to 32 mm-hmm. But having shrunk the share capital, then, and given the capital that they returned wasn't earning any interest income, Sure. Um, earnings per share are actually more likely to grow 17% to 3.4 pence this year. And if the boards do what they've just done, which I see no reason why they shouldn't do in the forthcoming financial year, and actually return all those earnings to shareholders, then the forward dividend yield is almost 7.5%. And on on top of that, the shares, when you strip out the cash um, on the balance sheet, uh, the free cash in the balance sheet, the shares are only trading in 11.5 times cash-adjusted earnings per share. So it's, it's not it's not expensive. Yeah, not all the time. I, mean, I, I guess it all comes down, like every other company, to what's happening with the underlying earnings, you, uh, the, you say, with the capital changes uh, that's going to have an effect. But well, why, are you, uh, why are you confident that the earnings upgrade cycle will, uh, will continue? Well, I've gone through the house broker's forecast, and he was looking for revenues to roughly increase from just under £24 million last financial year to £25.5 million. So that's about 6% growth, which seems quite realistic given the the backgrounds of monetary tightening and geopolitical um, risks that are um, heightening foreign exchange market volatility. Um, If if they generate that 6% revenue growth um, underlying pre-tax profits will roughly rise by a million pounds to 8.9 million pounds. And I, I think that's a pretty fair 
fair estimates. Okay. And that, that'll just feed through to those earnings per share figures that I gave. So, you know, realistically, it could do 2.4 pence compared with 2.9 pence of earnings per share in the current year, return all of that back to shareholders. So you're buying, buying shares in a company that, admittedly, they've risen 86% in the last 12 months, and they've done really well since I included them in my 2015 bargain share portfolio. But okay. I still think there's another 30% or so upside to the share price. Yeah, and that's and and there's of course the the income benefit as well. When did you when did you first identify him? Did you say was that in your yeah, bargain so that, shares? That, yeah, that was bargain shares 2015. So okay. February 2015, 34 pence was the share price. So um, you've you've caught all that growth really. Um, well, including the dividends, we, we're up about fifty odd percent on that that holding. So I mean, as you said, it didn't do well for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's just absolutely bolted this year, and I think the momentum's going to continue as well. So, just from a, a thematic angle as well, you know, with, with these type of companies, as you said before, you know, volatility, volatility in markets and on the political sphere uh, is actually a sort of a boon for them. Well, I mean, you, you can see that. I mean, the um, the assets under management they've got they were roughly up ten percent, fifty eight billion dollars in the twelve months to end of March. They had their first quarter figures. A few weeks back, and it's now up around about the $60 billion mark. So they're actually generating growth. So um, not not just from existing clients, but they're actually pulling in clients as well. So it's, it's all positive. It sounds it at that. Uh, we might uh, move on to uh, the other uh, company you've highlighted today, which is uh, uh, Satellite Solutions. I'm not actually familiar with them. So can you just give us a bit of a rundown on the company and what's, uh, what the valuation is looking like at the moment? Um, it's really interesting. Basically, what this company does is provides um, satellite super-fast broadband to consumers, businesses, schools in rural areas that just really can't tap into the fiber network. And since January 2015, it's made 14 acquisitions until the end of June this year, acquired roughly 70,000 customers. It's actually grown those customers to over 76,000, mm-hmm. and that type of customer growth actually is feeding through to the like-for-like sales. So they had their first-half results on Thursday, the 31st of August, and those, those results showed that like-for-like revenues were actually growing by 13%, um, and that, that growth has actually continued into July and August as well, I understand from directors. Um, high recurring revenue streams, 94% of the total, um, the type of money that you actually pay for this service, the average revenue per use is roughly £40. Well, that compares to offers of around about £20 or less for fixed broadband on the fibre network. If you go to people like TalkTalk, BT, Sky, etc., you take one of their, their special offers. So it, it's more expensive, but you've got to bear in mind that if you don't have access to the fibre network, you, your options are limited. Yeah. Um, Satellite Solutions is one of the biggest providers in this area. It's now got 96,000 customers. Its target was to have 100,000 by November this year. And by scaling up the business, it's turned from a loss-making company into one that's actually growing cash profits very, very quickly. It turned in cash profits of £2 million in the first six months of this year. It's predicted to do roughly 25 to £3 million in the second half. Uh, the highest broker at Numa Securities is predicting cash profits of 6.4 in the year to November 2018. So it's, it's a pretty big step change. And 
I think those forecasts are justifiable when you actually look at the acquisitions they've made, the benefits that they've actually generated from them in terms of cost savings. Uh, is this still a, a relatively um, fragmented marketplace? It is. I mean, they're, they're one of the biggest companies um, in Europe. Um, their French business, for example, has got 12,000 satellites. Um, these are all consumers, um, users actually using their um their network. Um, they, they basically satellite solutions buy capacity off the big satellite providers and then basically resell it on um, to consumers, businesses and schools. Um, but the big change is that lots of governments have now realised that the fibre network alone is not enough to actually get everyone onto super-fast broadband. Yeah. And um, a, a good example of that was in France. Just recently, new president Emmanuel Macron announced plans there to accelerate the rollout of high-speed broadband coverage across the country. And he's brought forward the target from 2022 to 2020. Well, satellite solution has roughly 12,000 customers in France, making it probably, well, it is one of the largest independent satellite broadband providers there. Um, interestingly, President Macron said that the rollout cannot be done by fireball alone. So although there's almost 30 million households in France that are actually connected to the fibre broadband network, there's 2 million that just can't be connected either economically or just logistically, they can't. So basically, it's going to have to be satellite, optical fibre or mobile internet are the options left for those 2 million households. And that's really good news for satellite solutions. I mean, is there a degree of government subsidy in this as well? Or is it just a, a, it's just a, a policy directive at the, at the moment? Oh, no, no, there is. I mean, there's an there's a initiative in Britain whereby the kit, which is actually quite expensive, it's, it's not the same as signing up to TalkTalk Talk or BT for your fibre broadband, where you pay you know, at most £50 and sometimes nothing to become a customer. The, the kit here is hundreds of pounds, um, so, so in Britain, there, there is a subsidy scheme to actually subsidise the cost of that kit uh, by, the, by the government, which is helping, and just in France. And these aren't the only countries in Europe that are actually doing it. Because I, I, I guess it's linked into the whole um, issue of uh, regional development as well. Absolutely. I mean, you're right there. So, for example, Satellite Solutions has just launched a government-backed 40 megabyte satellite scheme in Cornwall. Um, so that's one of the most remote, remote parts of the country with uh, not the greatest broadband access. Um, they've just bought a um, company called Quickline last month, paid £5 million for it, brought in 4,500 new customers. This is actually fixed um, line wireless broadband. Um, but the, the interesting thing here is that Quickline has already been awarded a £2 million grant by um, a quango called Broadband Delivery UK as part of the Department of Culture, Media and Sports. And that, that award is to support the rollout of superfast fixed wireless broadband in Lincolnshire. Well, anyway, Quickline is also on the shortlist for Yorkshire, and the grant there is upwards of £20 million. Okay, that's serious. Yeah. expected in the second half. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we're talking big bucks here. If you actually get, get awarded these grants, um, it, it, and Quickline hasn't been awarded that grant. It's just on the shortlist at the moment, but you expect news on it quite quite soon. So um, it could be a game changer for um, satellite solutions if that happens. Hmm. 
But these aren't the only parts of the country where this is happening. So it's actually gathering momentum as well. Okay, well, listen, that's, that's definitely one to watch. In fact, the, the subsector itself, from the sound of it, too. Okay, okay Simon, well, listen, it's, been, uh, it's great speaking to you again. And uh, thanks very much on the, the updates. No doubt we'll uh, be in, talking to you in a future podcast as well. So we'll let you get back to what you were doing. See you later. Absolutely. Take care. Cheers. Bye. Okay, well, that just about uh, wraps it up for this week as well. So it's uh, thanks very much to Tom and Megan and, of course, uh, our old friend uh, Simon as well. Some interesting insights there. It's uh, It's been a quite a sort of... Uh, What's sort of interesting week on the geopolitical front as well. I mean, we're having more ructions from uh, North Korea and the unfortunate uh, um, incidents down in uh, Texas as well, where Hurricane Harvey has uh, wreaked devastation. I think that uh, Ian Smith may be looking at uh, some of the implications, and Alex Newman as well, looking at implications for uh, uh, the oil price and also uh, on uh, com- uh, insurance premiums as well but uh, that will be for uh, a later date in the magazine uh, in addition to the areas that we've covered uh, so far uh, Megan who's just been speaking to us uh, has been taking a look at uh, AI's uh, influence on uh, UK pharma research interesting piece there uh, and I'll there's Tom's uh, Tom's look at the outsourcing market another article well worth a look is uh, Harriet Klarfeldt's take on uh, the the corporate uh, governance reform uh, that's uh, being floated uh, by the, the government at the moment or been watered down depending on which way you look at it. Um, and there's, well, actually, in New Spotlight this week, I've been having a look at the gold-silver ratio. Uh, we had that in the chart of the week last week uh, and uh, the argument being that we think it's uh, hitting an inflection point that could see silver outperform its precious metal uh, rival over the coming um, months and perhaps uh, as long as two years uh, but it, interesting uh, it's an interesting uh, viewpoint as well and we've got a comment there from uh, ETF Securities uh, Nitesh Shah as well just looking at that issue too so that might be interesting um, from uh, a trading perspective but that's about it for this week so uh, thanks very much again to all our guests and we'll look forward to um, speaking to you at some point in the future goodbye ACAST powers the world's best podcasts here's a show that we recommend hi I'm Jesse Crookshank Jesse Crookshank I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.